If you wouldn't mind turning, uh, we're in chapter uh, 9 of the book of Acts, and if you haven't been here, we're just working just story by story through this amazing account of the early church, just talking through the, uh, just the amazing ways that God was working behind the scenes to build his church. We've titled this series, Irresistible Church, and one of the themes you may have noticed is that God isn't choosing to do this on his own. He's choosing to include people, average, ordinary Joes like myself and you all here. He's using to build his church. And last week, we were experiencing that through specifically Saul, who is like just unwavering, waveringly bold and proclaiming Jesus Christ regardless of the risk, kind of some fun adventures that he was on last week. But now we get a little pause in his story as he heads back to his hometown of Tarsus, and we go back to the city of Jerusalem and what's going on there. We'll look down at verse 31. It gives a little bit of a mile-high overview of what's happening in the church. You might remember this even being read last week. It says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit says that it multiplied. So this is the mile-high view of what's going on, some pretty amazing things in the church, the irresistible church that God is building. But then today in the story, in the account, it goes from a mile-high view to hone in on what an ordinary day in the life of the church looked like. Sometimes if you're like me, maybe you perceive the church is kind of like this high and lofty things, all these amazing things. And you wonder, well, what did an average, ordinary day look like for a Christ follower? Or today we get to hone in, and it's not necessarily an average day, but nonetheless, there's some things that we're going to see in this account uh, that we can apply to our lives today. What a typical day should look like when we're trying to evaluate, hey, how do you apply this to our lives present day. So I'm excited to get into the story, the account of this, but one of the things that you're going to notice in this account is what marks an ordinary day or an average day in the life of a follower. You're going to notice it has zero to do with self-promotion, zero to do with personal agenda, with accomplishing this, and everything to do with meeting the needs of others. I'm excited to dive in. Let me pray first, though. God, we just ask right now that you'd speak to us through your word. We're so grateful that you've given such amazing accounts of you working through people. It's an encouragement to think that you've given us that same purpose, that you use average, ordinary folks like ourselves to accomplish great things. I ask that you teach us through this text, that you allow us to put on pause some of the stresses and headaches of our week and really encounter you through your word. We ask that you speak to us directly, that you'd meet us at our place of need, even in these moments, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so starting in this account, I'm just going to pull out some different observations. The first one is just brief. This first verse says, Now as Peter went here and there among them, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. So I want to stop there just for a second. So Peter, if, you, if you're familiar, he was one of the 12 disciples. He's not just an average, ordinary guy, I would suggest. He was literally given the name The Rock 
long before Dwayne Johnson. Like he was the, the rock in which the church uh, was built upon. This is, this is the, the original rock, and he's being built up. And so what I love, and I wanted to point this out, is that he's not sitting in some fancy CEO office with his legs up sipping scotch. He's, what does it say that he's doing? He's out and about. He's mixing with people. He's intentionally getting outside of his comfort zone to engage with the believers and non-believers of that time. It says that he's in the town of Lydda. Lydda, when I'm looking that up, is 33 miles away from Jerusalem on foot. Like, this is a, a, a big deal. Always when I hear these distances, I'm like, man, they were quite the hikers back then. So he's there 33 miles away, northwest, northwest of Jerusalem. In this city, it's really, if you go, you could still visit it present day. It's actually where the international airport of Israel is held present day. There's a little interesting trivia. So he's out and about, and I love that, that he's willing, as we're trying to apply these things to our lives, He's willing to go outside of the norm to engage with people, finding opportunity. There's definitely some purpose and intentionality in his day. He's not just staying at the nine to five routine. He's engaging in the world around us. And my question, just as we start to look at this text, is how are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Or are we kind of stuck in some ruts and some routines of just being around fellow believers or just the same exact people? Is there anything in your life that's moving you towards a life of adventure and engaging with people outside of your normal circle? I think it takes some purpose in this. I think there has to be some intentionality. I, I like thinking through that, you know, like what are some ways that you can get outside of your box? I don't know what that, maybe that's a good lunch conversation for you guys to engage. And I, I know even in, in our, our family, uh, I, I was impressed with Adrian last year. She's like, man, I'm trying to find ways to be more around Willow Elementary. So she became the, the art trek uh, advisor like every once in a while. She goes in and helps teach art to kids. And Adrian, if you know Adrian, is terrible at art. She's like, like the least not, like not, sorry, honey, it's true, it's true. And, and so, so sometimes it takes, last year, Chad was a baseball coach of young kids. That, 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 that's, not, that's not normally like a, a gift mix thing for him. You see, sometimes you have to think through strategically, how do I get out and about mixing with people outside of my comfort zone? I belabored that point longer than I meant to, but you get the idea is breaking out, and when that happens, there's some crazy stuff that has potential to occur. Look in verse 33. There, so it's talking about in this city, Lydda, he found a man named Aeneas, uh, I think I'm pronouncing that right, right, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, love that this is just right there in the story. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Pretty powerful couple of verses there. The first thing that you observe is when you break out of your comfort zone, when you're not in the normal routine, God has all kinds of adventures before you, all kinds of stuff that you encounter. I, I was thinking about that even uh, in the last week. Uh, one of the areas I try to go to is the 24 Fitness. I think I've talked to you before just so I can eat more food. Uh, but anyway, I go, go to 24 Fitness. I was engaging with some different people there. This week I had somebody come up to me that had heard that I'm a pastor. I didn't know him well. And he's like, 
hey, I want to, he's like, hey, hey, guy, that's what you call people when you don't know your name, and uh, he's like, hey, guy, what are your thoughts on this Nephilim giant they found in Afghanistan, 12 feet tall, and they had had trouble killing him? I was like, I don't know, but it ended up being like an awesome interaction just about, about, about Jesus and the, the, the line that was intended to be kept pure to lead to Jesus Christ, our, our rescuer. You, you, you never know where your day is going to take you when you break out a bit and engage with people. Here, what does it say his day took him? Where does it take him? Encounters this man, Aeneas. What do we know about this man, Aeneas? We don't know a ton other than this. We know that he's a paralyzed man. That, it, that he's paralyzed. We don't know that he's a, later on when he describes this next woman, Tabitha, they describe her as a disciple. Here it just says a man, so he's likely not a believer. He comes across this man. He's paralyzed. How long has he been paralyzed? Anybody else reading this? Eight years. We don't know exactly what caused that. We don't know what, whether it was a stroke, an illness, accident. We don't know, but either way, in that day, that was a big deal. I remember getting the phone call back when I was working in Chicago of a young man in our ministry that was on a missions trip, and then when he was just goofing around with some friends, was doing a backflip, misjudged the flip, actually landed on his neck, and was paralyzed from the neck down, still to this day. So the news of that was devastating, spending time with him, but it was interesting to watch his process, where through that, after a lot, number of years where it was pretty devastating, as you could imagine, he went on, he said, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to continue on. He went on to, to Cedarville University, got his law degree, and from what I understand still today is practicing law, even with that, re- that, that huge obstacle. His story ended in an amazing way. In this story, here's the difference. They didn't have the same resources then. Somebody was paralyzed. That was literally the end of a normal life. There wasn't some kind of a, a program or assistance or handicap ramps or parking. Like there, there's nothing in place for the person that's paralyzed then. This was literally a death sentence for this man. So I imagine after eight years, he's beginning to sink in or it has sunk in that this is his new reality. There's nothing changing this for the remainder of his days until this encounter with Peter. I love God's kindness in this chooses to reach out to this man that I'm sure was extremely hopeless. And what does it say that, that, that Peter says to him as he, as he breaks into this? He says to him just the simple words. He, he, he speaks to him. You see it there in the text. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. And what does it say happened? In that very instant, it's not a progressive, oh, I start to get a little tingle in my foot. I start to get a little feeling back in my hands. No, what does it say? In that instant, nerves reconnected. All of a sudden, how do you say that? Atrophy of muscles, gone, rebuilt. He's literally standing up in that moment, completely restored 100%. And I love that Peter says, and make your bed. I don't think it was because he was a neat freak. I think it was literally to say that it's because things have changed. You won't need that any longer. That's the God that we serve. That, that, that's the God, that, the healing God that engages people and meets them at their point of need. I want to pause this story just for a second, just because I know sometimes there's a lot of confusion because you're like, man, you hear all these like uh, stories in the Bible and these are, are these like the greatest hits and he like doesn't do anything like that anymore. I want to explain just for a couple minutes here. 
present day, what does healing look like today? I think it's important first to understand what it looked like then. God specifically gave these apostles the ability to heal. You can read about it yourself in Matthew 10, 18. And I want to pause one more second. Well, when I explain this, this is, would be our stance as a church, but it's okay to have some differing opinions. So before you write me letters, it's all right. We can believe differently on this. So let me explain. Okay, there's my caveat. So Matthew 10 says this. This was Jesus talking to the apostles. He told them specifically. He's giving them, as he's sending them out, he said, go heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, now give without pay. It was an invitation for them to go out and literally meet people on the street and in a word, just like we see here, heal people, do the miraculous. All of that with a very specific purpose. I don't know if there's any, uh, any campers in the room here. Anybody uh, enjoy going a little camping every once in a while? This is one of my favorite things in camping. Do you see what this person's doing? Do you, do you see what he's spraying on that? Anybody have issues like I do and you're just like, you get a hold of that igniter fluid and you're like, woohoo! Uh, okay, maybe I'm the only one. But, uh, but, but here, here, I was thinking about what is the purpose of healing? I think that's a great picture of it. Because when God was starting and building his church, he used healing as an igniter to, to, to increase the flame in a miraculous way to draw attention and to affirm the message that they were proclaiming. Does that make sense? To affirm what, they were, what was being proclaimed. And so you see, it was like the lighter fluid that you used to start a fire, and literally that's exactly the intent. We read about this in Mark 16, 20. It says, and they went out, and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked in th- with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. So you see that confirmed the message by these signs that were attached. So it was like, proclaim Jesus, and then look at the amazing power that he displayed. Again, in Acts, uh, Acts 14, it says, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This was for a specific purpose as he's building up the church. And I think it's important for us, for anything, to be able to ask the question whether or not that was something that was a specific time and a purpose or whether or not it was ongoing. God chose to use the apostles to do the miraculous. He expanded that to a few other people. Remember the deacons that were added to the mix. You saw uh, Philip and you saw Stephen added. And then God also chose Paul to do this through. But beyond that, that's the extent of it. And it was a purpose for a season of ministry. Even when you look in the book of Acts, the book of Acts mentions the word healing 75 times of a total of healing being mentioned 79 times. So only four times outside of the book of Acts. Pretty awesome to think about that. So as he's building his church, he's using it as an igniter. And even in the apostles' lifetime, this began to diminish over a season or over a period. Are you guys tracking with me? Over a period of time. So even with uh, even with the Apostle Paul, who's considered one of the, the huge, the, the, the biggest impactors of the early church, even as he got older, this diminished. So you're like, well, how do you know that? 
Paul, in 2 Timothy 4.20, he's talking about his companion of seven years, a faithful friend of his, being ill, and ongoing being ill. If it was something he had the ability to do, he would have healed him specifically of this disease. Otherwise, he was kind of a jerk of a friend. I don't think he was a jerk of a friend. I think it was something that was diminishing over time. Same thing with Timothy. We read about him in 1 Timothy 5.23 having these stomach ailments. It wasn't something that, that, uh, that Paul's like, yeah, I could heal you, but uh, I'm keeping you on the, on, the, on the line. No, this is literally something that gradually progressed over time, diminished. Now, you might ask me, you might be like, why are you taking so much time to describe that? I would suggest there's a lot of confusion. And when you have unrealistic expectations of God's healing, it can leave people disappointed and disillusioned. My dad, for a, a number of years, was the director of a camp for folks with, uh, for handicapped folks. And uh, in that, that camp, I remember different, he was telling me the story. He's like, man, there's one time where there's a faith healer that showed up in a nearby town. He said that a number of the, the patients in the, in the facility gathered and they got, got in buses and headed over with the intention of being, seeing themselves healed because this person with a supposed gift of healing was going to rescue them. And he said, man, it was so hard coming back on that bus with none of them healed. It was so hard. He's like, and, and for us to understand that still, and you're, you might be saying to me, you're like, so Scott, do you not believe that God still heals? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God no longer gives the gift of on-call healing to someone. Now, whether or not he continues to heal, I completely believe that he continues to heal. I completely believe that if we passed a mic here, there could be story after story, even in this room of like, oh, my Uncle Fred, you wouldn't believe what God did, and it's my aunt. My, like, that's not what I'm saying. There's a big difference between having a spiritual gift of healing and God still healing. Does that make sense? So there's, there's your brief pause in the story, and here's the way that it was supposed to play out ongoing within the church, is when someone is still wanting to be healed, which is important. It's a gift that God continues to give. James 5.14 tells us what we're supposed to do instruction present day. He says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. It was supposed to be something ongoing that God still did, but it was at his discretion as he's the divine healer that chooses when it makes the most sense in a person's life. For us as a church, we have an open invitation. If there's a, ever an ailment that you're going through, you'd love to have prayer for. Even this past Tuesday at our elder meeting, a woman from our church that has, has an upcoming surgery came in and was prayed for by our elder board. It's a beautiful thing and an ongoing thing that was intended to be part of the local church, but the gifting has shifted. That's the end of my detour. Back to the story. So this is the, the story. And look at what did I say was the intended response or result of the healing? What was that supposed to do? Igniter fluid. What does it say happens as a response? It says, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. How crazy is that? Anytime it uses the word all, 
That's a big deal. Can you imagine in a, in a whole region where people are living, in the surrounding, Sharon, were the, Sharon was the surrounding plains around it, in that entire region, what does it say? They all turn to the Lord. That's an awesome thing. So its intention was actually fulfilled because people come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. It was an awesome thing as God was building his initial church. It's a powerful thing. And you see that. I love that expression, turned to the Lord. What does that mean? Someone's thinking about Jesus changed. You see, in that day, there was a lot of debate. They're like, who is this Jesus guy? Who is this Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? Literally, there was a change of thinking where at one point, they didn't buy into him being the Messiah. And at another point, there's a turn in the thinking where they do embrace him as Jesus, as Savior, as Rescuer. It's a powerful thing that happened in that community. And it's still the thing we're praying to see happen in present day for people to turn in their thinking about Jesus. I'll share just a, a quick story. It was kind of fun. Last week we had, a, you remember us announcing the newcomer's lunch. So we do that every couple months. Well, the end of the newcomer's lunch, there's a gentleman that showed up at our church and I wasn't coming for the newcomer's lunch. He showed up and he wanted to talk to some pastors here at the church. So John first had a chance to talk with him, came over and introduced him to me. He was a guy, he wanted to come back from the church and apologize for something. We're like, okay, this is interesting. In 2009, he had done donuts in our grass with his car. He came back, isn't that awesome? Eight years later to apologize. So he's asking for forgiveness for that. And so I said, I said, no, you're paying for some new grass. No, <laughs> I'm, uh, no, I didn't do that. We extended some grace to him, but it ended up leading into a great conversation and just chatting with this young man, but somewhere in his late 20s and just hearing about his life and this uh, car accident that he, he was in that had really changed his life. And now he's taking, he's uh, uh, kind of following Judaism and trying to head back towards kind of getting things right. He had a checklist of different people he wanted to make right with uh, before, I don't know, in his, in, his, in his days. And I had an interesting conversation with him. And I said to him, I said, you know, I said, I really sense a there's a little bit of a, a struggle here, I said to him. I said, because, man, I, I really, I, I, I want to I want to uh, recognize and respect your beliefs, but I also so desperately want you to know the Jesus that I follow and serve because I believe he could change your life drastically. And so I went in to just uh, explain the gospel to him and, uh, and listen. To, and it wasn't like it was some saving moment there for him, but it, again, the opportunity for somebody to hear and the potential for them to turn is a beautiful thing. And that's what healing provided. And I would say if we're trying to present day apply that, what is, what, what is the healing thing that we're able to do? What, how, how do we implement that in our life? You might not be able to pray to a paralyzed man, stand up, but you might be able to go out and serve somebody in a surprising way, meeting needs. It's still the same. The same thing. Our service can validate the gospel message probably more than anything. When you bend over backwards to meet somebody's name, it still registers in their brain, wait a second, there's something different going on here. It's a pretty powerful opportunity ongoing for us to influence folks. So he's really a pretty powerful experience, and that wasn't the end of his day. Take a look. It might, might have been spread over some days. Verse 36 says, Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. 
In those days, she became ill and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging, please come to us without delay. So this is kind of scene two of the story. We're introduced to another character. In this character, it specifically says that this woman is what? A disciple of Jesus. So she's a follower, and not just any follower. She's not just believing and turned in her belief. She's literally, it's transforming the way that she lives. What does it say about her? It says that she was full of good works and acts of charity. So it's just not an intellectual consent. It's literally transformed her into serving and meeting needs around her. And here's what it tells us about her. It tells us that what? She got sick. She got sick. Not only got sick, what does it say? How does her story end? She dies. See, see to me, this is fascinating because, again, this can get a little bit confusion in certain circles of Christendom where they believe that, man, if you're right with God, if you're serving, if you have enough faith, then, then, then sickness and disease can be cast out and not a part of your experience. But we see even here, somebody that's living it still goes through those trials. That's important for us to understand, even, again, appropriately having expectations of how it works. We don't get to skip all the bad stuff, even though we've embraced Christ. If there's ever a time for amen, that's, this would be the time. Like that's, we, you, you, we could pass another mic in, around here and share story after story. We don't, we don't get to skip all the bad stuff. We still get sick. We still ultimately, death rate is still at 100%, I've heard. Like it's still a, a guaranteed part of our experience is that's part of what happens as a believer. And for Tabitha, that's how, and I'm sticking with Tabitha. There's certain names in the Bible that you like name your kids after. Uh, stick with Tabitha, Tabitha, avoid Dorcas, I might suggest. Um, but either way, sorry if you know a Dorcas. Um, I know a few Dorcases in my life. Um, but anyway, this, this idea here, he instead, instead of being shocked by this, and I love that his the, the disciples, the other followers in that area, had such confidence in what God could do when she was dead. What does it say? They, they didn't panic. They called for help. Literally, like you, you could imagine after that, you'd be like, uh, it's kind of too late. But instead, what do they do? They send for Peter to come and see what he can do. You see, again, again, affirming the idea that this was a specific gift given to the apostles that made them able to do some things that wasn't the usual in that time. And so what do they do? They call for Peter. Verse 39, let's look and see how he responds. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing, tu showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. When she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, huge region. And many believed in the Lord. Love that beautiful story there of rescue. First thing that I noticed is those first couple words in verse 39. So Peter rose 
and went. It would have been very easy. Think about this for a second. It would have been very easy for Peter to be like, don't you see I'm in the middle of a mass revival here? I just said, I'm having everyone is turning and embracing Christ. I can't make it to go deal with this dead woman because I'm in the middle of revival. You see, it would have been easy to allow the plans and schedule of his day to conflict with potential ongoing ministry. Isn't that literally the same exact obstacle we still have today? Any calendar people in here that get a little bit stuck in some, uh, I get teased because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big calendar person. On my desk in my office, I have one calendar, a big one in the center, and I like to see it all laid out there. I'm not a big fan of the phone stuff. I mean, I lose track of that. When it's on my calendar, my desk, I know I'm not anybody else old school like this. Glad. Hey, I'm not the only one. Uh, and, and, and so I'm, I'm very committed to get every increment of the day kind of mapped out. You can see it there. But here's the thing. It's one thing to have purpose. That's important for us to have that. But here we're seeing the importance of flexibility too. When God calls you to detour from what's exactly right in front of you, what made it on your schedule, when he calls you, you have to be available to change the game plan. Otherwise, can you imagine if he didn't show up here, there would have been a blank spot in your Bible. No, not really. But, uh, but can you imagine, like this is because he chose to say, all right, I'm going, even though I don't know what God's going to do here, but I'm excited to see what adventure he has me on. And what does it say? How does it transpire? He shows up, and you can. This is one of those scenes you can kind of picture being there, can't you? There, you, re, you? You read that description. It says, "All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was there." Can you picture this scene? Like, there's all these like older women. They're crying. First off, they're all weeping, which is probably pretty dramatic, and they're pulling out like all the quilts. They're like, look at this quilt, look at this. Like, I don't know if it's quilts, but you get the idea. They're showing all the stuff that you made. I imagine it was a little bit of pandemonium that he's coming into as he's arriving. And so I was reading that. What does he, notice what he has him do. He clears the room. Sometimes in scripture, there's something that seems really spiritual. This, I think, was to just get some peace and quiet. Anybody else interpret it like that? I think he's like, we got to just get these screaming ladies out. I can't see one more quilt. Let me get to work here. And so he kicks them all out. And what does it say he does? Then he has a chance to slow down, slows down. And even Peter didn't presume on the Lord here. What does it say that he does? He brings this request before God, kneels down before before this woman, starts praying, God, uh, we don't know exactly what he prayed, but I imagine an appeal for her rescue, and God chooses in his providence, in his kindness, to do what? Raise this woman from the dead. How unbelievable. I think we get numb to scripture sometimes, and we just kind of peruse about, oh yeah, that's somebody that got raised from the dead. Can you imagine if you had so th th this encounter, you had somebody that was already cleaned up and ready for burial, like meeting in the, them at the casket and like pulling them out and saying, get up, get up, it's time to rise. And they sit up. This was God's hand of kindness, clearly reaching out to not just Tabitha, or Dorcas, not just Tabitha, but in his kindness to people in that entire region. Why is it his kindness to the region? Because then they hear about it. And again, that igniter fluid, what happens in, in response to that? Literally, people coming 
to a saving, turning relationship with Jesus Christ. It says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. I love that. The takeaway for us, not to get so busy in our schedule, in our incremented days, that we're not available to go where God takes us. And to have an ear open, God, what, what do you want, how do you want to use me? Uh, what, what do you want to direct me to next? That's the avail- availability and flexibility. I think he had a, a beautiful blend of purpose and flexibility in his day. We'll end with this very last verse, verse 43. It'd be easy to kind of peruse past this quickly. It says, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Now, when you read that, you might at first be like, well, why is that even included in the scripture? How did that make it into like the permanent word of God? And I I was reading a commentary about that. I thought it was interesting. Do you know how how a tanner was considered in the for the people of of israel that would have been the ultimate unclean person what would a tanner deal with all day skins dead animals this is peter the the head of the mega church of jerusalem choosing to stay with an unclean person that deals with dead animals. This was like the biggest faux pas possible, and it's a a glimpse into what God was doing in the apostles' hearts and lives. All of a sudden, they're realizing, hey, this message that we have of rescue, of Jesus Christ transforming lives, isn't just limited to the people we already know and engage with. It's also included for the fringe, for the people that are the outcasts or they're forgotten in their society. They're invited to, I love this. I don't know if it was preparing him for the vision that we're going to see that he has next week or what it was, but it was a changing of heart as God's showing that this gospel was way bigger than they had ever thought. It's a beautiful picture of the inclusive nature of the gospel and for us, the takeaway and the question for us in our present days, we're trying again to apply this. What do fringe people look like in your day and week? Who are people that maybe have unfortunately blended into the surroundings that we've forgotten about? What about in a, in a normal routine? I jotted down a couple possibilities. Maybe the, the, the clerk at a, a, a bank. The teller that you're interacting with. Do you, do you see them as a person or just a robot that you're exchanging money with? How about uh, the clerk at a, a store? Somebody that's helping you find your shoe size. How about, how about that person? How about at a restaurant? This is some of the most, uh, this is when the, the, the waiters give me the amen. Uh, the, 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 the waiter that you, for, that, you, that you treat so terribly, uh, that's a whole nother topic, but uh, that we forget to acknowledge and, and engage with. What about the waiter? What about, how about this? How about the customer service rep on the phone? How are we doing with that one? Uh, talk, talk about some fringe people with potential for ministry. How, 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 about, how about this one? How about the, the landscaper or the gardener that you tend to not necessarily notice anymore because they've been there so consistently? What if God worked in our hearts to start engaging with fringe people, people that are so often neglected and forgotten? That is God's heart for us to engage with those folks with folks that are maybe not in our normal routine. I love that that's the example when we're looking at an average, ordinary, not so ordinary, day in Peter's life. And included a lot of things. 
It included him getting outside of his comfort zone, breaking out 33 miles away, engaging with people, meeting needs as they arose, engaging with people. We talked about that. Adjusting plans, not being so fixed on their calendar that they can't change a plan. And then lastly here that we just saw, mingling with people on the fringe that are otherwise so often forgotten. That's the kind of life I want to live. That's what a, a, an average, ordinary day looks like, I would love to look like in my life. That's my prayer for us also as a faith community, that this would be what our days look like. Meeting needs, not about me, about meeting people where they're at. It's a beautiful picture of God's design. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for your word and even how practical it is today. And I know the work that going through this this week that you're doing even on my heart, just stretching and pushing me. I pray that you do the same in our lives, not as a, any form of a guilt trip, but as an invitation to a life of purpose and meaning. Love the idea that our service, our way that we serve and meet people's needs can be an authentication of the message of you. So kind of you to include us. I pray that you go before us, even going into our week ahead, that these wouldn't just be words that we heard from the pastor, but they'd be literally transforming words that change the way we see people, the way we interact with people. We believe that your spirit can do that in our life. And so that's what we ask. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I don't think you could better say it than that, the idea that it's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. That's what makes all of this possible. The more and more we submit and allow him to reign in our lives, that's what makes this service that we're talking about possible. Have a great Sunday. God bless you.